0: So probably we all have things about our family that we're a little embarrassed by. Like maybe we have some family drama that we don't really want people to know about, or we have some weird family traditions, and maybe you didn't even know they were weird because you just grew up with them and that was what the family did. And then you had a friend over one time, right? And they kind of looked at you like, what is going on? Or you get married and you find out weird family traditions, right? So I got married and found out that my wife's family does this thing at Christmas. They play a game where they hide a dill pickle in the Christmas tree, okay? I didn't know this before we got married or things might have gone a little differently, you know, because that's weird. We all have something. We have a, a weird relative, right? Every family, if... If you're not sure who the weird relative in your family is, it's you, and everyone else knows it. We've all got somebody. You know, that crazy Uncle Carl, he, he's going to drink too much at the 4th of July barbecue. He's going to get all wound up again. We know it's going to happen. It happens every year. We all have something strange about our families. So today, I want to talk about a family in the Bible who no matter how bad your family is, they're worse. Let me give you their resume. Grandpa once traded Grandma for some farm animals. Actually, he did it twice, okay? Dad learned from him because Dad traded Mom for some cattle. Got her back, though, so I guess no harm, no foul. We're okay. The grandsons, these guys once sold one of their brothers into slavery. Another one slept with his own daughter-in-law. A couple of them decided to convince an entire village of men to circumcise themselves, and a day after they did it, while they were all in pain, they went in and killed them. Like, you're starting to feel pretty good about your family, right? Holidays, you're looking forward to holidays. What I love about the Bible is that it doesn't try and cover people up. It doesn't try and hide people's flaws. In fact, the family that I just told you about, they are the single most important family in the Bible. Today we're going to see that right in the middle of this family, there is a guy named Jacob. We're going to call him Humble Jacob. And as bad as some of his relatives were, Jacob might be worse. Jacob is a thief. He's a liar. He's a con man. So if you brought a Bible with you, we're going to be in Genesis 33. Genesis is at the very beginning of your Bible, so open there, or if you have it on your phone or something, you can scroll there. And last week, we started a a sermon series called, Are We There Yet? And we're looking at various characters in the Bible and looking at their life and looking at the journey that they go on. And the Christian life is just that. It's a journey. And in some ways, we have this destination that we have already arrived at. The Bible says that when someone places their faith, their trust in Jesus, when someone chooses to follow Jesus, that God adopts us into his family. We are called daughter or son. And yet in other, another way, we're never going to get we're never going to arrive at this destination, at least not this side of heaven. And here's why. Because as a Christ follower, there's always room to grow. You're humble today. You can be more humble tomorrow. You're generous now. You could be more generous in the future. You're caring and you're joyful. There's room to be more caring, to be more joyful. Today we're going to look at Jacob and his journey and how he grows in humility. I think that you might find Jacob's story sounds a little bit familiar. It might resonate as similar to your story. See, Jacob, he has his good days and he has his bad days. He has days where he wakes up early and he is excited and he's full of life and he's ready to take on the world and he's standing in the mirror, tying his tie, getting ready to go to work, whistling a little tune, and he is ready to go. Other days, not so much. Other days, he wakes up and honestly, Jacob's a jerk. He's arrogant and he's gruff. And he curses too much. And he drinks more than he should. And this is sort of the story of Jacob's life, especially early on, that he has his good days and he has his bad days. Some days he praises God. Other days he might as well curse God. And this is the struggle. And he go, this goes through his life, this struggle to find who he is, who he wants to be, and who God designed him to be. And it starts to have an impact on the people around him. And it starts to affect his relationships. He does some pretty horrible things, especially as it relates to his brother. So let me get you up to speed on who Jacob is and what's been going on. He has a brother, an older brother named Esau. Esau is a man's man. He's big, he's strong, he's hairy, he smells like Old Spice. He's awesome. He's a hunter. Jacob is none of these things. One day Esau is out hunting, and he can't find anything. He doesn't kill anything. And so he comes back from this hunting trip, and he's starving. And his packs are empty. And Jacob is sitting around the fire, and Jacob's just made himself a nice little bowl of soup. And Esau, big brother, says, give me some of that lunch. Give me some of that soup. Jacob responds, and he goes... Sure, give me your inheritance. Like, it feels a little extreme, but Esau is starving. And he goes, okay, for some soup. The next time we see Jacob and Esau, dad's getting old. Dad's getting close to dying. It's time for dad to offer the family blessing, to pray over and bless the oldest son. But dad can't see. And so Jacob knows The dad can't see. So Jacob covers his body in animal fur. So he's hairy like Esau. He goes out and rubs some dirt on him, so he smells like big brother. And he goes in to dad, and dad thinks he's Esau, and dad prays over him, and dad blesses him. And so in just the two stories, Jacob has stolen Esau's inheritance, his birthright as as older brother, and he has now stolen his blessing. This is their family history. It's so bad that Esau says, Jacob, the next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. So Jacob, of course, is no dummy. Jacob runs. He splits town. He goes far away. He finds a distant relative who owns a farm. And so he goes there, and he finds work there, and he builds a life there. He finds a wife there. Actually, he finds two wives and their sisters, but that's a different story for a different day. I told you the Bible is whacked. There's some weird people. But what happens for Jacob is he continues to have this this struggle. It's this internal conflict of who he's going to be. It's this battle between arrogance and humility. Some days he praises God. The next day we find out he's stealing from his boss. Then he's back at it. He's in awe of God and everything that God has done for him. And then he's back in the other direction and it's just so real to me. Because some days I feel like I'm going on the right course, in the right direction. And then I go off the rails. So Jacob heads back home. He finds out that Esau is in the area. He's told that Esau has an army of 400 men, and he's coming to see Jacob. And so, of course, Jacob is like freaking out. He actually sends a bribe to Esau. He gets some of his finest animals. He gathers them up and he sends them, hoping that it will buy him some favor. And then in classic, arrogant, self-preservationist Jacob fashion, he gets together his, all his possessions, his wives and his children, and he's going to go see Esau. But Jacob hides in the back. This guy. What a guy. But before he meets Esau, Jacob is going to have an experience that's going to change him. He meets God. He struggles with God through the night. And what comes out of that, God does something in his heart, and what comes out of that seems to change who he is and alters the trajectory of his life. And so the next day, he's going to go and meet Esau, and we're going to see how this lying con artist has been changed by God. Here's the story, Genesis chapter 33, starting in verse 1. It says, Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. I told you just a chapter ago, he was hiding behind everyone, even his wives and kids. Now he's out front and he's leading the way towards Esau because self-centered, prideful, self-consumed Jacob, something in him had changed. And so he goes to his brother and he bows down to him out of respect and he bows down to him out of respect. And as he's getting closer, he bows down to him out of respect seven times. So I want you to think about this. Every family, okay, probably most Most families, groups of friends, maybe a close-knit group of co-workers, if we really look in on that group, we really look into inside a family, we'd find some tension. We'd find a broken relationship. We'd find something that's strained. Maybe it's something that's been broken for years. Maybe it's a new point of tension. It's just kind of boiling there, simmering there under the surface. It's with our father or our mother. It's with a sibling. Maybe it's with a grown child. And maybe it's something they did, something stupid they did, and it hurt you. Or maybe it's something you did, and you hurt them. So think about that for a second and step forward into Jacob's shoes. Here's Jacob and Esau. Step into Jacob's shoes. What would drive him toward Esau? What would cause him to pivot like this? That would cause him to go and fall down before Esau? I mean, I gave you the history of who Jacob is. This is not in line with his character. What causes him to act like this? What has changed in him? Like, could you do that? With that person that that you've had conflict with? Could you be that vulnerable to go to them like that? Think about it. We'll come back to it. Here's the rest of the story. Verse 4. Remember that Jacob is on his way to Esau, leading his family, and he's bowing down to him. Verse 4. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and the children. Who are these people with you, he asked. Jacob answered, these are the children that God has graciously given your servant. He calls himself Esau's servant. He's being humble. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all, Joseph and Rachel And they bowed down too. Esau asked, what was the meaning of all the flocks and herds that I met? Remember, I said Jacob had sent him a gift. He had sent him a bribe of a bunch of animals. Jacob says, to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourselves. So the story kind of gets turned over a little bit. It's not just Jacob being humble. It's Esau. Jacob, who had done wrong by his brother, who had tricked his dad out of the inheritance, who had stolen from his brother his birthright. He humbles himself and comes before Esau being vulnerable. But it's also Esau who, remember, said, the next time I see Jacob, I'm taking his head off. Now he's welcoming, he's meeting his his niece and his nephews. They're weeping together. What's changed? Clearly something has changed for both men. What is it? It's humility. They've both been humble. See, God, through our humility, turns bitterness to joy. Something had happened. Jacob had had this encounter with God. He struggled with God. The Bible says he fought with God. And God somehow worked something in his heart, and what came out on the other side of that transformation was humility. I don't know what happened with Esau, but clearly God did something in his heart too, because now he's acting from a posture of humility, not from revenge. See, what happens is when we are humble, God takes our bitterness and he turns it, he makes it into joy. For some of us, that's what you needed to hear. That's, in fact, why God brought you here today, to hear that, because you are walking around with bitterness and it's heavy. And you keep thinking, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to carry this thing around. But honestly, I don't know what to do with it. Well, here it is. It's humility. When we are humble, God takes bitterness and he transforms it. He turns it into joy. But see, to understand this, we have to go back. we got to go back to last week. Pastor Joe talked to us about humility. And he said, humility starts here. And he defined it this way. He said, humility is understanding who God is and who I am. See, here's what we want to do we want to divorce our relationship with God from our relationships with other people. We want to pretend like our relationship with God doesn't impact the relationships that we have with other people. That's impossible. See, we want to believe I can be a good person, I can be generous and kind and gracious, I can have humility, but that's how, that's this thing over here, how I deal with people. That, that's separate from my, my walk with God, from my relationship with God. You cannot separate humility with God and humility in your relationships. It doesn't work that way. It's this experience that Jacob has with God that drives him to his knees, and it's then the humility, we start to see it flow out into his relationships. You know, so many of us are living in tension with family or with friends, and we're frustrated by it, and we try and fix it, and we've, we've read everything we can read, and we've done everything we, we know how to do, And it's not working. But we haven't considered, how is our relationship with God impacting the relationship we have with other people? See, you can't be humble towards other people until you've been humbled by God. I'll show you, come back to the story. Remember, Esau has just told Jacob he forgives him. He doesn't want this bribe as a gift. He's offering him grace with no expectation of anything in return. Verse 10. Jacob says, No, please, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you. Why? Listen, listen to this. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all that I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. As my relationship with God has been made right, as that has been prepared, now I can have a right relationship with you, Esau as I figured this thing out with God, as I have this right understanding of who God is and who I am, now that can flow out and can repair our relationship. What would that look like for you? What would it it be? If you think of a broken relationship that you have or a strained relationship, some, some tension, What would it look like for you to just back up and consider for a second, is there a hole in my relationship with God that's affecting my relationship with other people? Is there something broken that needs to be repaired in my relationship with God so that I can repair relationships with other people? Is there some lack of humility that I have before God that is causing me a lack of humility and gentleness towards people that I want to love. See, so we can't believe this idea that our relationship with God is this separate thing that doesn't impact our relationship with other people. So bring this, bring this forward. Thousands of years. From this Bible story, bring this forward. Does this have anything at all to do with our lives? Does this have anything to say about our journey? Well, Sure it does. In fact, if you want to write down a couple of things about humility, here's the first thing. Humility is a choice, not an emotion. Humility is a choice, not an emotion. We think of humility as a feeling or just an attitude. But it's really more something that we do. So Jesus is hanging out with some of his buddies. And one of the disciples says, Jesus, when when you build your kingdom, when your kingdom starts, who will be the greatest in your kingdom? And Jesus says, The greatest in my kingdom is the one who humbles himself. It's not the one who just feels humble. It's the one who acts out of humility. The one who chooses to be humble. So here's where it started for Jacob. If we just go back a chapter to Genesis 32, where he has this encounter with God. You go back and read it later. I put all the scripture in your app. Here's how it starts it says, That night. Jacob got up, and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the fort of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over his possessions. And so Jacob was left alone. See, for Jacob, the path to humility and repairing things with his brother started with repairing his relationship with God, and that couldn't happen until he found time to be alone with God. I wonder if it's been a while since you've been alone, just you and God. If there are broken relationships, strained relationships in your life, in your family, with people around you, I wonder if there's some healing that needs to happen first between you and God so that healing can flow out into your relationships. Here's the thing, that kind of healing doesn't happen, can't happen. God doesn't do that kind of healing when we're always go, 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 and we're always busy and there's always people around and there's always noise and there's always something going on and we're always moving if you can't figure out why you're struggling with pride and anxiety and fear and strained relationships, I wonder when the last time is that you are alone, just you and God. And that might sound totally foreign to some of you, but it's in that moment, it's in that space where God works in Jacob's heart and he starts to transform him. He humbles him. And it's not until that happens that that humility can be passed on to other people, that Jacob can pour out humility in his other relationships. I don't know. Maybe some of us need to start there. Maybe some of us need to flip through the calendar and go, when when do I spend just a few moments with God? Maybe, maybe it's time to start there. Second thing I want to say about humility, and honestly, this just comes from my own heart, something that, that I've wrestled through as someone who for my entire life I've struggled with pride and arrogance. Humility can feel humiliating, but it's always Christ-like. See, if you messed up, to go back to someone with your tail between your legs and say, I did you wrong, isn't a lot of fun. If you were hurt, to go to someone and say, I forgive you, I want to reconcile with you, to choose to be humble instead of choosing revenge, it's not that much fun, let's be honest. But But it's always the right thing to do. Here's what I know. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. God, listen to that. God opposes the proud. God is the enemy of the proud, but He pours out grace when we are humble. It's not fun to be humble but it's the right thing. In the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul tells us why humility is such a big deal. He says it's because of Jesus. It's because Jesus chose humility. Jesus chose to be humble. He put on a body. He stepped out of perfection. He left his throne in heaven for you and for me. Out of humility. Humility can feel incredibly humiliating but it's always Christ-like. I wonder if you step back and you look at, if you look at the whole story today, and maybe you think about a strained relationship, a broken relationship that you have. Maybe it's between you and a father, a father who was not there, a father who mistreated you, Maybe it's a a sibling that was always harassing you and making you feel bad. I wonder if there's an opportunity to grow in humility. And please hear me. I'm not saying that there's a quick fix to a broken relationship. I'm not giving you point one, two, and three to fix everything. Your journey, what you've been through, and the pain of it, It's valid. Hurt hurts. It's why we call it hurt. Your pain is legitimate. But I wonder if for you there's an opportunity to grow in humility. I wonder if you could find time to get alone and ask God and just say, God, would you grow me in humility? See, the answer to our series, Are We There Yet?, is yes. If you are a Christ follower, yes, you have arrived. God is in love with you. Not the future version of you, not you 2.0, not you 3.0. You, right now, you, son, daughter of the King. If you're not a Christ follower, today you could put your trust in Jesus. It's as simple as saying, God, I want to follow you with my life. Christ follower. You're loved, but there's room to grow. We're like Jacob. Some days are good days. Other days are not good. Some days it's two steps forward. Some days it's three steps back. Are you ready? Church family, are you ready to grow? Are you ready to come before God and say, God, humble me? Because that's when we grow. So that's your challenge for today, and it's a big challenge. Will, will we, will I, will you, like Jacob, will we ask God, God humble me? And then watch as God transforms not only your heart, but he transforms the relationships that you have with the people around you. Don't you want that so badly? Pray with me. God, today our prayer, Father, it's very simple. Would you humble us? Would you cause us to get alone with you, God, to spend a few minutes with you? Wrestle through the tough stuff and show us and grow us in what it means to be humble. It's a big prayer, God, but it's that simple today. I thank you for your son, Jesus, the model of humility. Above all things, he chose to be humble. And he lost his life so that in his name we could have life. It's through him we pray. Amen.